0: Hello, this is Mr. Rosten. Um Welcome to the Room 102 podcast, a podcast for students who want to keep learning science during long breaks from school. Uh, this is the first one I'm recording since the closure has been extended to April 30th. So we're in a pretty long school closure, and we're going to keep learning science anyway. This podcast is based in Champaign, Illinois, for students at Franklin Steam Academy. but Really, any student can listen to this that's in middle school. Let's talk about science. Uh, first we have an update from Jason. Jason sent in an audio file uh, talking about the experiment he did for gravity. Let's listen.
1: For my experiment of rolling the um something down the ramp, uh I used a paper and a um a Rubik's cube and a pencil and also nerf dart. Um and I used the paper, and then when I tried the uh, Rubik's Cube, it went down the ramp, and then uh, it hit the floor with a loud sound. And then uh, when I used the uh, pencil, it rolled down normally uh, without uh, going off course or making a loud sound. And when I used a Nerf dart, when I rolled it down the paper, uh... It uh rolled off course because the rubber tip of the Nerf dart um made it heavier, and I think the traction made it uh uh like slip off, not slip off like a uh, veer off ish.
0: So there, uh, Jason chose uh. Uh, An independent variable of types of objects and his dependent variable was just sort of what we would call qualitative observations. Although if he was measuring how loud it was going down the ramp, we could maybe say that like decibels was his dependent variable. Um, Great job, Jason. Thank you for calling in. Uh, Let's go to um, our topic for today. We are talking, we are finishing our week on history of science. Uh, And we are going to talk about contemporary discoveries or recent discoveries in science, big things that are affecting science right now um, that have been discovered within the last, say, 30 years. The first is uh, something called dark matter. Um, When Edwin Hubble noticed the red shift that showed that the universe was expanding away from itself, and then we noticed that the expansion of galaxies away from each other was happening faster than it should be uh, based on our mathematical computations, um, we realized that there was something else in the universe, something else that had a lot of energy and a lot of gravitational pull that was um, sort of causing everything to accelerate much faster than we realized. That's dark matter. We call it dark matter because we don't know what it is. We know kind of where it is because we can see um, black holes and stars—not not black holes per se, but the, radi- the X-ray radiation around black holes—and we can see the UV radiation around stars, and we can watch them turn and move around galaxies. And things are moving differently in terms of their rotation than they normally would be. But if there was a big piece of gravitational pull in that area, uh, that would explain some of the anomalies that we notice with how things are moving in the universe. We attributed this to dark matter, but we can't see it. There's no physical way to see the matter that's there, but we know mathematically it has to be there based on the movement. Of the stars so we call it dark matter we know that it has gravity and we know nothing else about it um so there's uh, a lot of the universe in fact we think it's up to 70 some odd percent of the universe is made up of this dark matter so it's possible that the majority of the material that things are made out of in the universe we don't even know what they are so again i've said this in class before and i'll say it again the next time someone tells you that scientists have basically discovered everything now person is not telling you the truth. Science is really just getting started. Which brings us to M-theory. M-theory is a what we call a unification theory. Um, with gravity and how gravity acts on different objects, um, Gravity, gravitational attraction works with a, an equation that Isaac Newton uh, founded, and it uses constants that we call gravitational constants and it incorporates the mass of the objects, etc. Uh, we can like figure out what the actual force of attraction is between two objects. Well, it turns out that that mathematical equation doesn't work for all the other forces that affect things in the universe. Electromagnetic repulsion, um, the strong interaction and weak interaction between um, subatomic particles. There's a lot of things that actually these equations don't work for and we're trying to figure out why gravity is different. We think that has to do with something that has to do something with even smaller uh, subatomic particles. Things that we are theorizing could be things like neutrinos and muons and uh, bosons. You might have heard of the Higgs boson. We think that if we find that particle it can help explain this unific- unification Um uh, between how gravity works and how all the other forces in the universe yeah. interact um, with different objects. Um, M theory is- big rival is quantum loop theory. It's just a different mathematical way of trying to unify all the different forces that are in the universe. M theory is the more popular one. It's the one you hear more about in the news. But quantum loop theory is um, just as probable. And when you uh, hear about people um, funding you know, particle accelerators, we're trying to figure out whether quantum loop theory works or whether M theory works. Um The last thing I'll say is a lot of people don't like to fund this stuff because they don't think it has any useful, um, uh, um, it doesn't have any like uses, any useful applications is what I'm, this is the word I'm looking for. Um, a lot of people think that if we pay for these big giant particle accelerators, we're basically going to find out that there's, there are these small things called bosons and then we're not going to be able to do anything with them. But I would argue that that's not true. Um, I'm going to make my little pitch for why we should fund that stuff. Uh, because, um... You know, you have possibly a phone in your hand while you're listening to this, or you're listening to this on a computer. There's some kind of electronic device um, that's powering this. Well, that device was powered by electrons. Now, when Nikola Tesla... A famous scientist back in the eighteen hundreds, when he was testing um, electricity, he was just really making these doodads that showed like electrical charges. Like he'd spin a wheel, and it would be next to another wheel, and then like little static charges would come out, and you'd see like these little pieces of lightning. And people were like, "Oh, it's a cool parlor trick," but people thought that Nicola was insane, and they didn't really want to fund his testing. But if People hadn't funded him and helped him discover how electricity could be harnessed and put into a wire for us to use. We wouldn't have any of the electronics that you're listening to this with right now. The thing is, we didn't know that we could make radios. We didn't know that we could make refrigerators. We didn't know that we could make light bulbs by using this thing called electricity um, back then. But now we know. We didn't know that when we were discovering it, when we were discovering the electron. The same is true of bosons and muons and neutrinos. We need to know how these things work because they have applications. We just don't know what they're going to be. Finally, I want to talk to you a little bit about a moral quandary that we're having in the scientific community. There are things that have just been discovered in the last two years. There was an article in 2018 that talked about the discovery of brain spheroids. Brain spheroids are not brains, but they're pieces of a brain that we could grow in a lab. But this has huge ethical implications. Um, We don't really know what consciousness is. We don't know how humans are aware that they are alive, but something in your brain tells you that you're a living, breathing thing. So if we grow parts of brains in petri dishes, is it possible for that brain to be conscious? And more importantly, since pain happens in your brain, when you feel pain, the nerve endings are sending a signal to your brain that ouch, that hurts... Can something with a body not can something with a, without a body, sorry. Can something without a body feel pain? We don't really know. And yet we're growing these brain spheroids in labs. Now the brain spheroids, you might think like, oh, well then we shouldn't grow those. But the thing is, there's no better way than to grow a part of a brain to discover the diseases that can take place in the brain. Right now, chronic traumatic encephalopathy is uh, causing people to absolutely lose their minds, along with Alzheimer's and um, um, spongiform encephalopathy. These are things that cause people to lose sight of who they are as they get old, and they don't even remember really parts of their personality or even people that they knew when they got older. We might be able to stop these diseases from taking people's personalities from them later in life, but it might only be possible if we grow brain spheroids. Um, there's no reason to believe that the brain spheroids can feel pain right now. There's no evidence that the brain spheroid is uh, aware of itself and alive, but it might be impossible to ever know whether that's true. So we don't really know what to do or what to make of that situation. Um, also we experiment on animal brains right now, at least researchers that are willing to do animal testing might do, um, testing on animal brains. So, um, is that unethical? How are the brain spheroids based on animal DNA? Maybe that will be ethical. I don't know. I'm going to kind of leave it up to you. I'm not going to tell you how to feel about this particular issue. I want to end our history of science week by having you think about this particular issue and decide your own opinion. If you want to research it, uh, there's all kinds of articles on brain spheroids and how they've been used in research, medical research so far. Okay, that ends our week. Um, the reflection sheet is going to be posted on the Google Classroom today, so you should be able to find that. Again, thank you to Jason for calling in uh, and talking uh, about his experiment. You don't have to just call in and talk about experiments. You can call in with a question. You can call in with something that you liked or didn't like about the previous episode. But before we end today, we have to have our joke. Okay, here's the joke for today. A photon checks into a hotel and is asked if he needs any help with his luggage. He says, no, I'm traveling light. (laughs) All right, everybody, you're welcome. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. And I guess enjoy your day.